0: Tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Um, I do um, want to apologize right off the bat. So uh, if if you've been around for a long time, I'm a person that speaks with notes, and they keep my butterfly brain in line. Um, I purposely didn't have much notes. I did write some stuff down and stuck in the Bible, but it's it's really, I just want to tell a story. And um, when you tell a story, you don't always need notes. And I want to make some biblical applications and just share. So I run at a high speed. Somebody jokingly said something about it. A few minutes ago, in here, when we were just kind of walking around and talking, but I run at a speed that's that's um not always normal, and it's usually not healthy. Um, uh, and when we came to Brand and Assembly of God 12 years ago, and, and God started to move, it went from one service to two, to three, to four, to once a month. We were doing five, um, and and running at that speed is just is just not healthy. Um, and God's doing amazing things. Oftentimes, y'all should know this. If you ever see a church that's just exploding especially in, in what they call momentum growth phase where, where it's just growing and they can't tell you why, it, it oftentimes looks amazing from the outside perspective in, but on the inside perspective of the leaders, and especially the pastor, it can be, it can be horrible. That's a lot of times where pastors have moral failures, uh, pastors commit suicide, all these kind of things happen. Um, and on the outside, you're like, why would they do that, it looks amazing. On the inside, they are a duck on a pond running. Now if they can get past that, they go into what's called uh, a systemic growth and during that phase, um, it, it'll slow down a little bit, and, and we're kind of there now as a church. But point is, go through this this season, I never really thought much about it. There's certain things I've always just kind of known, but I don't really process them. I guess all of us are that way to one degree or another. And so we go on our sabbatical, our first ever sabbatical, and our sabbatical started with a prayer retreat for me. Four times a year I go away just and my Bible on a prayer retreat. That's actually where I'll be next week. Um, and that really casts a lot of vision for our church and hearing from God and such. And I go away to, to start the sabbatical. I go on a way of prayer retreat, just me and God. And um, during that prayer retreat, I, I have this moment with God, where, God where, where I realize that I never anticipated growing old. Now, this is a bizarre thing to many people. And my wife might throw stuff at me because she doesn't like when I talk about this kind of stuff. But in, in my mind... I run at a high pace. I'm just, it's okay if I die. Like, you know what I mean? It's not that I want to die today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, am I ever going to be 95? Probably not. You know, I'm I'm probably, because I just run at a pace that like I'm going to burn out relatively faster than other people and and blah, blah, blah. And that's okay. Never really thought much of it. And I had this whole conversation with God, like, do you want to grow old? And I came away from the sabbatical um, going, yeah, you know, I I think I do actually. Not for myself, but for the sake of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for the sake of the kingdom of God. I think I would like to grow old. And I didn't, it was an interesting conversation if you were there with me God, woman. and God in the moment. And coming out of that, we go on sabbatical. It's awesome. We chill out for, for, you know, nine and a half weeks, essentially nine weeks after that time, and um, come home and we come right back to preaching, right? So we're gone all this time. Life is, the stress is gone. It's amazing. We're back. Everything you think it's supposed to be. Get back from that. And uh, I, I, probably the first two, maybe two weeks back in, three weeks, something like that, started having these weird chest pains. Well, that's weird, now we're, we're, like, this is 2019, so this is way before my heart attack. Mm-hmm. That's January 2021. But 2019, towards the end of 2019, I started having these chest pains, and I, I, I'm not one, like, probably most guys are this way, I'm not gonna tell a lot of people this stuff. So there's just a few people that knew. Um, uh, some of my closer friends, and I would go to them, I'm like, hey, can you just pray with me about this? I don't know what it is. It's kind of weird. It felt like somebody was grabbing my heart. It felt like, and um, the first time it happened was a Sunday morning. I'm preaching, and I'm feeling this happening. As I'm preaching, you, again, you never know, but that's the on in my mind. And I remember walking out that morning when it was over, and uh and I think it was Tony Parker, and I was talking to Tony, and I'm like, hey, I don't know what this is, but pray with me. Because it's my heart, it's like, should I have this checked out? It's not like it's a twitch in my arm, you know? It's, like, it's my heart. Long story short, that started the process of going to doctor after doctor after doctor trying to figure out what's going on. Long story short, months months later, because it took a long time to figure it out, but sometime around March or something of 2020, uh, they finally diagnosed me with a stress-induced cardiomyopathy, they call it, which basically means that you spend a lot of time under a lot of stress, and when that happens, your your arteries tighten up a little bit because of the stress. And then what happens is actually whenever uh, I take it, it opens up. And then what happens is when you um, are not under stress and you're actually very relaxed, it closes back up and you're not getting enough blood to your heart. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird thing that your heart hurts when you're not stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, so it's that, that's part of the weirdness of all that's going on. You know, you just walk me through it and all that time too. And so um, and so we're like, oh, wow, okay. Well, when they did that, they test for all this blockage and blah, blah, blah. And, and I had a small amount of blockage, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything to be concerned with, you know, they're testing all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, you don't have to worry about that, but you need less stress. And we're like, yeah, how do you do that exactly? <laughs> in my world? And that's what I do. Um, and so the doctors are saying that, and, 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 and in 2020 ended up, and, and I don't have to go into a lot of detail about this, but if you even take COVID out of the scenario, it was the hardest year of my life, of Ada's life. 2020 was horrible. We fought all kinds of personal things not like in our marriage in fact we came i came out of 2020 i think she would agree going our marriage is strong and we proved it by 2020 yeah. fought things with with just family things all around it was it was that alone and then you had COVID on top of it and leading the church through covid there was a lot going on behind the scenes that we never talked about in the church for obvious reasons it just wasn't anybody's business um so during all that and having these heart computations at the same time and trying not to be stressed in this extra stressful situation mm-hmm. uh and so uh they they gave me um nitroglycerin bills uh for that so fast forward 2020 stressful year we finally break out of 2020 i'm a huge college football fan um, alabama and florida state are my two kind of favorite teams and alabama's in the national championship on a monday because that happens pretty much every year and um the sunday Prior to that Sunday morning, or actually, really going all the way to Saturday, I started feeling the same kind of thing in my chest, but it was different. But I assumed it's the same stuff, right? Whatever. This has been on and off, on and off, on and off. It's, it was just you almost kind of get used to it. Um, and so Sunday morning, it actually was fairly strong. Sunday morning, I'm preaching, which is now my claim to fame that I preached having a heart attack. Paul can be like, "I got stoned for Jesus." I'm like, "I preached having a heart attack." <laughs> I think that's So, you know, I'm having these things, and I went to a couple people on Sunday morning, a couple of the guys, I'm like, hey, just FYI, this is going on. I don't know what this is, but it's a little different, and it's stronger than usual and different. I had been a little bit sick, and, and, and I had noticed, uh, the only thing that I could really say was a sign, is like I remember getting on the treadmill one day, and I, and I couldn't hardly go, like hardly at all. I'm like, that's weird, but, but I have been sick, and I thought, well, I was just sick, you know. Long story short, Sunday, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Monday, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and as a typical guy, Monday night, Alabama's playing the national championship, and I'm like, I am not missing this game. You're going to win, and I did. And, and I laid on the, the couch, and by this point, it felt like it felt like my rib cage was rubbing against my heart. Now, what I found out later was that there's a sack around your heart that, that when it gets um, inflated... It really does. That is exactly what's happening. It's rubbing it and it's very painful. Yeah. And it makes it hard to breathe and, and it's just every time you move you feel it because you know your rib And uh, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And my wife, Ada, thought I had um gallbladder. Gall- she was convinced I had gallbladder she- <laughs> And so she had me drinking <laughs> Apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar. Oh! <laughs> large amounts of apple cider vinegar. It was horrible <laughs> <laughs> for two days straight. you for forgave me for that. That's, that's so huge. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm drinking all this apple cider vinegar and watching this football game. And it was that night during the game that it just got progressively worse to the point that I couldn't hardly sit up. And I'm laying on the couch watching this game. And that's where um, we kind of thought, all right, this might be more serious. And I went to bed. And I, we said, all right, if it's still like this in the morning, then I'll go to the hospital because I don't. This is just weird, and, and I, I'm still thinking it's connected to the other thing, or I'm convinced it's my gallbladder. In both me and, like, and, and are like, you go to the hospital, they're gonna take it out. So you fix it before you go, to, you know. All right, so um, we probably lay down for maybe thirty minutes or so, maybe an hour. I don't know. What, I lay there and I just couldn't breathe, um, and I'm like, all right, I should probably go to the hospital. As all the men in the room know, that's a big deal because we just simply don't go to the hospital. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, this must be pretty serious. We need to go. And and that was a tough ride, because Ada's driving, and every bump on the road, you could feel it. It just just hurt. Get, Get to the hospital, and by God's sovereign plan, there's not a single person in the emergency room in the hospital. Anybody ever seen that? Not a single person. On national championship night, where everybody's drunk, and not a single person, anyway... And so, you know, they take me in, they, they you know, and said so it's hard thing. So they run over and they plug me into this monitor and check it out. And and that was the first time that it seemed to be more serious because I'm still at this point thinking it's a gallbladder. I'm like, you know. And, um, and so the, the nurse um, checked me out. She's talking to the doctor on the phone. And you could tell as she's talking to the doctor, he, you know, they're saying, bring me right back kind of thing. And maybe the most valuable information I got from any nurse the entire time, she are in this little wheelchair. It's not a wheelchair, but it's, it is a wheelchair, but it's not a normal wheelchair that they put you in. They start taking you back. And she lays down and she whispers in my ear, she goes, It's about to get really hectic. Just answer any questions they ask and, and go with, you know, just go with flow, whatever. And I'm like, Okay, what does that mean? She said, They think you're having a heart attack. And I'm thinking, I ain't At having a heart attack. I'm going to have a heart attack. I just my heart check for blockage like six months ago or whatever. Like, I don't have, you know, no more than a normal person my age, whatever. So they go in and they immediately start asking like tons of questions. Thank God, Ada was there to answer some of them, and I was there, and they're asking both of us and all that, and rush me back into a room uh, with a the doctor. The doctor says, "Listen, you're having a heart attack." As he's saying the words, I'm like, "You're crazy!" No, I'm not. I'm like you're just trying to make money off me. You know? so I'm <laughs> <one> works. <laughs> and um, um, he says, "You have a, I think it was 95% blockage was it. 95% blockage." And I'm like, I don't have 95% blockage, they check my blockage. Now, I will say I found out later, talking to another heart doctor, that what can happen is, you know, you have plaque on your walls of your arteries, and any time that plaque can break off, you know, what causes that? Stress. At any time it can break off, and when, you're, when your arteries are dilating, it, it affects it too. So it can break off, and then it creates a jam, and all of a sudden you go from 20% to 95%, just like that. Right. Yeah. Which is apparently what happened <laughs> to you. So... That's all the crazy moment. At that point, um, I'm also freezing. It was really cold that night and they're stripping me down on this, on this platform thing that's like metal and it's freezing. I was already shaking prior to it and shaking hurt too because of the chest thing. So I'm shaking and, um, and they're stripping me down in the whole nine yards and they're like, we're gonna put two cents in I'm like, okay. Um, and, and they, they did all that procedure. It felt like three minutes. I don't know. It was crazy fast. And um, they're done, and I never felt a thing. Like, and maybe it's partially because I was shaking, and partially because I was hurting here, but I literally never felt, never felt it cut me or anything. Um, and uh, uh, so they they do all that. Finally, the uh, I was sitting there shaking, I'm like, I'm freezing. And the nurse is like, are you cold? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she probably, brought she a wound blanket, probably charged me $600 for it, she brought me a wound blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody ever been to the hospital? <laughs> Uh, and so they brought me the blanket and they, they take me to the um, to the, um, ICU where I spent a day and a half or so before I got out of there. Um, and it's it's in the ICU that I kind of have this realization and talking to the doctors and nurses coming in that I could have just died. Mm-hmm. I never really, i was be perfectly honest, I never thought I was going to die. I would have been the one that died and I'm like, what, what God, huh? <laughs> That's fine. No God, I don't have blockage. <laughs> the doctor told me the room. <laughs> so I never really in the moment thought I was gonna die I, literally when he's telling me I got 95% blockage my mind is thinking you're lying I don't like, oh, but you're the doctor so what can I argue with you you know <clears throat> and it's during those moments uh, in the hospital that that I'm laying there and it starts to come this realization why well, I could have just this is where the story is probably different than what most people expect because I'm, I'm laying there in the hospital bed and over and over and over, I kept hearing this verse in my head. you I'm if you want. It's Philippians chapter one. Philippians one, beginning in verse 21, we'll read the 25. It was really the first verse that kept going to my head. More than likely, if you've been around church long, you know this verse. But Paul's writing, he's, he's writing from a, a Roman jail, more than likely. He doesn't know if he's gonna survive this time. He's already been stoned to death once before, and they brought him back to life. He's already been persecuted repeatedly. He just doesn't know what the future holds for him. And so he's writing to this church in Philippi. And it's out of that mindset that he says, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Think about that. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You can keep reading, but I'll stop there. I want to turn this into something because I I don't want to sound hyper-spiritual because I'm I'm really not. Eight is the spiritual one. But laying in that room, knowing I could have just died, knowing it's still, at that point, I'm in ICU, it's still relatively serious know, seeing how everything went. Okay. If I go to heaven, go to heaven. And that's such a different perspective than what we have most of the time as Americans. I'll be really, really honest. What affected me the most is when Ada said that the boys were crying when they found out I had a heart attack, my sons. If you know Ty, Ty doesn't cry anymore. Ty is a man's man, John Wayne, you know, tough guy. And she said, you know, Ty, I don't like to cry. Sorry. That affected me because I thought, okay, I don't want to be selfish, but, so this is affecting them. But as far as I'm concerned, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we find ourselves in these these pathways, and Paul says this thing, saying, if I stay, it's for fruitful labor. In other words, if I stay, it's not for me any longer. It's always for you, which is what he continues on saying right here. It's better for you if I say, right? And that's not me taking; that's Paul saying. I'm not quite that arrogant. (laughs) And coming out of that, I had, you know, obviously time off and they wouldn't let me come to work. Um, And so I had all this time and I'm processing it, but that verse just over and over and over, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And I came to this realization that was probably there prior, but I had never mentally processed it. That I have accomplished far more. Accomplished might not be the right word. I've done far more than most people ever do in their lifetime. I don't say that with arrogance, but through the Lord's blessing, I have ministered in dozens and dozens and dozens of countries. Ralph's probably been with me a dozen of them (laughs) close. But to God's grace, I've, I've led people to Jesus on five of the seven continents. I've written books. I've earned degrees. I have loved one woman with all of my heart. I have, you know, helped create these amazing kids that, yeah, they need me, but I think they're capable of surviving without me. You know, um, I, I've, I've led a ministry that's grown and blossomed and, and been beautiful, and I've empowered so many, and this is not me being prideful. I'm just saying this is what's going through my I've empowered so many other churches and helped so many churches, and so many ministers are in ministry today because I either empowered them in the beginning or I kept them when they would have quit or things. And that's not pride; that's just it's just the truth. I still do. I did it today for hours today. It's what I do, and and so I'm I'm like I've kind of done more than most people were doing their whole life. God has blessed me in this tremendous way what else do I have to live for? Like, people tend to think, oh, I want to do this, or I want to do that, or it's like, you know, what's the country song, Live Like You're Dying, you know, go ride a bull, go whatever. And then people tend to think that way. i like, anything that I would have ever said I wanted to do, I've, I've, I've done. Mm-hmm. And there was a time in my life where if I was invited to minister in, I don't know, Cuba, then I... If I'm being honest, I would have said yes, and it would have been for the glory of God, but there was also a part of me that's like, that's so cool, I'm going to go to Cuba, I'm going to go to Cuba. When you've traveled the world, all of a sudden you start being like, I don't really care about going to another country. As cool as the country might be, it's kind of fun to see the experience, but I don't. So it's like, I, I don't, you know. I and so what begins to happen is you're truly not living for yourself. There was a part of you that, yeah, you did ministry, but it was also just fun. It's like cool to go to these places and experience this. And, but then there comes this maturity that comes and goes, all right, I don't have to ever do that again. It's about the people. It's about the ministry. It's about fruitful labor. Isn't that what Paul said? And so that my life is no longer about me. It's about others. Now, I'm not going to act like I don't care about my life and I don't have desires or whatever, Um because I do but the truth is and I think I came to this realization is that I had started dying to myself so many years ago that whenever I actually faced physical death it was nothing to me and this is why I say it's not what people probably expected to hear but I think that's the Christian story I think that's what it should be like and so by the time I, I face actual death you know, it's like I have been dying to myself for a long time. Now, I'm not perfect at it by no means, but even coming out of it, it's like, I, I don't minister on the stage on Sunday morning so that people applaud me. Maybe there was a time in my life where I appreciated that more, and I know I'm not that old, but I, I've just reached an age and a near-death experience and whatever that I, I don't care if you applaud anymore. You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I appreciate that we're in it together and, and that kind of thing, but I'm living for you I'm living because my boys were crying because it would affect them so much so I want to be there for them I want to be there for my wife because I'm sure she was crying too I want to be there for other people and so your life actually becomes not about you now this is partially just adulthood right all this but it's the realization that you find with death with that that it's not about you it's always about them and everything you do now is about who you're ministering to, whether that be in a church service ministry or whether that be in a, 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 a you know, you're ministering to your kid by raising them up. And so that, that's kind of where I, I came out of it, thinking of that way. And it's really stuck with me still to this day. Um, again, I don't think it radically changed how I was living, but it changed the way I thought about how I was living. And that's why we want to create galaxies, not stars. That's the Christian ethic. So with that, we live in an America that's considered postmodern. It's what's what's referred to as a secular humanistic culture. And we grow up in it. It's the air we breathe. You can't help but be intoxicated by it because it's everywhere. So the secular humanistic worldview, the way they view things is that it's always working towards a utopia. It's progress, we're always getting better. And in general, there's a lot of truth to that sometimes. The world isn't, as much as we complain, when you look at at least engineering and science and technology and cities, oftentimes they really are getting better. And so there's a utopia out here that we're all reaching for, and we're all gonna get there together, and science becomes the religion that's gonna get us there, and, and all of this. And within the secular humanistic worldview, which is the common way of thinking in America, it is the least able to handle difficulty because we're always going to good. It's always going to good. But what happens when it's not? When it's not good? That worldview doesn't know how to handle it. We freak out. We lose our minds because it's always supposed to get better, better, better. And then something bad happens, I don't know how to deal with it. Notice across America right now, if something bad happens to us, we're running to counselors and things way more because we don't know how to handle it. Our worldview never taught us how to handle it. So watch what happens, and this is not political, but watch what happens with COVID. All of a sudden, there's a fear of death that is irrational. There's a rational fear of death, but there's also an irrational fear of death. If a snake comes and slithers up to me, I am smart enough to run away from the snake or get away from the snake. But if I'm still running two miles from now, no longer is that a rational fear, it just became irrational. So there's a respect for something, but then if we're not careful, we actually are starting to respond out of a fear of death. In the ancient world, Christians, oftentimes, this was actually a problem in the early church, Christians would put themselves purposely in situations to be martyred know well, if you know this or not um wasn't healthy wasn't right but they jesus was crucified i want to be like jesus so i'm going to purposely put myself into a situation where i'm going to be martyred um in the early first few hundred years of christianity that was a fairly common thing um that obviously wasn't healthy but look how far we've come on the other side of this now two thousand years later that they wanted to be killed because to be absent from the body is be present with the lord they wanted to be killed, now we find ourselves in a place where we are scared to death of death. And we will do anything to avoid death. Neither one of those are healthy. And yet Christians are typically responding the same way as unbelievers with this stuff. Here's, um, you know, I'm, I'm smart now because I'm getting a doctorate and, and all the research in the world will tell you. That. <laughs> Statistically, there is a 100% chance that you die. (laughs) I'm just pointing out. I'm smart now. It's my doctor coming out of me. You know, just quoting statistics off top my head, but well-researched. 100% chance that you die. Not only that you will die, but that everybody you know will also die. (laughs) Yet we seem to live a life that assumes that's not going to happen. And so when it does happen, we lose our minds. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. In the cultural world that we live in with secular humanism, I get it. In the Christian sense, we gotta be better than that. We gotta be better. And I'm not saying that you celebrate every death. Um I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying like, praise God, granny (laughs) God. But there is this difference in the way we mourn. Yes. To live this Christ to die is gain. You actually gain when you die. Your temporary house to a permanent house. Your 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 distant relationship with Jesus to a close relationship with Jesus. The kingdom in all of its fullness. You actually gain a lot when you die. It is not a sad thing, it is a joyous thing. Now, I jokingly say this, and I've actually preached this, and we tease about it. You're going to cry at my funeral because I'm going to mean something to you, Uh right? Because I want my life to be imparted to others, and I want people to go, oh, my gosh. D.L. Moody once said, he said, one day you will hear, I'm butchering this in my own, it's not word for word, but he said, one day you will hear that D.L. Moody died. He said, when you hear that, don't believe it. He said, D.L. Moody is now fully alive. So we we've gotta be people that while we might mourn for a moment, because we will miss them physically for a season, Mm -hmm. that we actually see the beauty of heaven. And what happens is, you know, back in the day, if you're older, you remember we used to sing all those hymns about heaven. Mm -hmm. Some glad morning. Uh, All these hymns. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Like there was there were a million hymns about heaven. You know why? Because when life is hard, you look forward to heaven. And for many of that generation, and the hymn writers, life was hard. So you're looking forward to heaven. You're seeing about it. What's happened is life got good. It got easy. It got nice. And now all of a sudden when life is good, I don't look forward to heaven because I enjoy life. And what happens is we start to love life more than we love heaven. And we just have to be so careful of this because as Christians, this is one of the areas that we should stand out like a city on a hill. We should shine a light that when everybody else is in fear of death, we are not in fear of death. Amen. Amen. It might be natural to fear dying, but as a Christian, it's not natural to fear death. It's actually something, believe it or not, that we can look forward to. Again, not that we're suicidal. We're not all trying to <laughs> Don't purposely put yourself in a position to be martyred. That's not. But to be absent with the body, to be present with the Lord, to live as Christ, and to die is gain. And as long as I'm on this earth, I am going to be investing in other people because my life is already dead. And I'm living for other people. and And if we can get that right in this moment of COVID across the United States, we will stand out. It will be beautiful. And by and large, it doesn't look like the church gets it right. We've forgotten that heaven is a real place. That's right. But that's kind of what I that that was my story. That's what I got out of my heart attack. It it reinforced something that I really already knew, but it taught me that it was true. Mm-hmm. I am not scared of death. I'm not gonna go jump off a building, but I am not scared of death. And I think as Christians, that's got to be something that marks us different than everybody else. Amen. All right, let me let me end with this just biblical point. Back to the Bible study. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, then this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. Listen to this next line. I am torn between the two. I am torn between the two. Here's what I believe. Every one of us as Christians should live in a tension between the two. God, I want to be with you. Jesus, I want to be with you. But you're using me here. People need me here. I need to be used in my workplace, in my community, in my family. I need to be used here. And if I asked you the question if you died tomorrow, would you be okay with it or whatever? I I think it, it, it begs this tension that if you respond quickly either way, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Yeah, but there should be a tension dragging you here to earth. Or no, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to be here. There should be a tension dragging you to heaven. I think as Christians, we should live in that tension between the two. And I think Paul was living in that tension between the two. That I eagerly desire to go to heaven, but I know God is using me here on earth and I want to stay here for your benefit, whoever that your is, your benefit. But don't miss me so much when I'm gone because you'll see me before we know it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Jesus, God, I pray that especially in this time and season in America, Lord, that we would stand out like a city on a hill because we are not frantic, we are not fearful. We are wise and we want to make smart decisions and take care of our neighbor and all of that. But we will not walk in fear of death. We will walk in a longing for heaven, a desire for your presence, a desire for more of you. And I pray that every one of us would live in that tension between longing for heaven and also longing to be used by you here on earth in fruitful ministry. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.